Welcome back, everyone, to Point of Sale, the retail supply chain show where we break down great retailers and the data and technology that they use to move their supply chains. Happy Halloween, everyone. I'm SpongeBob, if you didn't get that one yet. But happy Halloween. It's my favorite holiday. Well, behind Christmas. I am a big spooky season fan, as all of you might have saw on yesterday's episode of Check Call, which you got to go check out. Uh, I love ghosts. I love all, all things spooky, spooky movies, spooky houses, spooky ghosts, all of that stuff. So uh, this is uh, definitely one of my favorite holidays, especially when it leads up right into F3 that we'll all be at here next week. So exciting times for me over here and excited to have you all back with us here at Point of Sale as well. Uh, we're going to have an excellent guest on here and a few that we're going to talk about uh, more of a global e-commerce perspective in the supply chain. And more importantly, uh, a lot of his background work in the military in getting their mail to them as they're overseas as well. But I figured why not start off this episode going into this wonderful holiday with some interesting retail statistics for this wonderful Halloween. Now, of course, uh, we all had a different Halloween a few years ago as we went through the pandemic, but it's one of the most interesting holidays to truly bounce back. I think it's it brings a lot of joy to people, a lot of fun. It's a good holiday to get outside, right? And enjoy a beautiful outdoors as well, as long as it's a, a good night, not too spooky for you. But I figured let's dive into some statistics and thank goodness for the National Retail Federation because they have put together a ton of studies in order for us to learn a little bit more about this wonderful holiday. Now, let's start off with participation as well. So the biggest thing that we want to take here is clearly we've had our ups and downs. Uh, as you'll see, a lot of movement as well with different recessionary times. So of course, uh, we didn't see as biggest exponential growth as we saw bouncing right back from the pandemic. But you can see uh, participation in the holiday fell pretty uh, drastically in 2020, making sense. Not really the best time for all of us to be knocking on each other's doors and taking candy from one another as well. Uh, but we are bouncing right back up to it to a strong 69%. I mean, hey, if this was an election, that would be an overwhelming majority of how much we enjoy this holiday. But let's focus on uh, how people are celebrating and what parts of the holiday they're celebrating as well. Uh, let's bring up this chart real quick that goes into more of their holiday plans. Of course, we're looking at a lot of these old school traditions where Really coming back, handing out candy being a big one. Uh, now that everyone is starting to get back to health, of course, vaccine percentages are up. People are feeling much more comfortable back to that 67%, a little bit more than, uh, of course, we saw per prior to the pandemic. Uh, back to decorating. Uh, it looks like parties are, are slowly coming back. I mean, it's always an interesting holiday because it tends to fall usually during the week, depending on how you're celebrating it. Uh, but happy to see that we're right back to where we are on most areas of celebrating the holiday as a whole uh, and, and pretty big majorities as well. But the classics, handing out candy, of course, is the easiest and most fun way to get to know your neighbors and celebrate the holiday uh, together. A, a rule that I have when you come to my house, you got to let me guess your, your costume. And you're not getting candy until I figure it out. But I, I do a pretty good job guessing as well. 
And with that bounce back, let's dive into spending that we're seeing uh, on this holiday too. So looking at about $10.6 billion being spent on Halloween, that's including decorations, candy, hot costumes, all of that jazz. Of course, all that dip uh, in 2020. But it's interesting because it's not as big of a dip as I assume, seeing that the participation participation fell in 2020 so drastically. I think like we all did, uh, we spent a lot of money and enjoying the the holidays within our own families, within our tight knit communities. So I think that makes sense of why you see spending not falling too much in that 2020 era, but we are right back at it. Uh, maybe we won't, uh, <laughs> we might not be seeing too much spending uh, as much this holiday season, but it looks like Halloween is, is right back up there and we're enjoying a little bit more of this fun. And what's even more interesting is we're seeing even the increase in household spending. If we bring up that chart, I believe we're right about 102, yep, $102.74 per family. It's not too much, honestly. Uh, but I think what's interesting here is uh, because that value isn't too much, it shows you how many people participate in this holiday and how many people enjoy it. I mean, it does cross the number of cultures, number of different religions, there's people that celebrate this all over the world. So uh, happy to see that uh, we are finding areas, even if we are in a recessionary period or looking at inflation a little bit more, uh, particularly when we're buying goods, people are putting money aside to make sure that they're having a really happy Halloween. And who, who wouldn't want that? I mean, this is the time of year where you spend a little bit more to go to the pumpkin patch or to go to that haunted house with your family. And those are some really great memories I think people are, have missed over the last couple of years and are probably Again, saving up and, and putting towards this year as well. Let's dive into where that spending is actually going, though. Uh, going into the overall spending breakdown, uh, of course, 47% of people are looking, will be looking to dress up, uh, which I think is really cool. But what exactly are people dressing up as? Well, first, let's bring up if there's a chart that should be um, the type of costumes between adults. There we go. Uh, and that, go back one more for me. We'll get to this one in a second. Perfect. So this one's interesting because of all of the areas that we seem to be spending a little bit more on is our pets, which I, I love. I can't get my cat to get into a costume to save my life. But for all of you out there, I see those Instagram posts. I see those reels. I see those TikToks. I love the costumes that you're putting your pets in. Super cute. Uh, of course, it looks like a, even adult costumes have been uh, increasing as well. And children's are right about the same. Uh, which makes sense, you know, so if I had a child, I'd make sure that I'm not spending too much on their costumes. We all know that those things get torn up pretty quickly and they're going to want a whole new one next year. Whereas adults, I think, you know, we have a little bit more lavish parties and a little bit more of a, uh, a ceiling to hit. So there's a little bit more spending going on in us personally, which I can't hate on either. Uh, but what type of costumes are we wearing? This gets really interesting, especially when you look at the pets section. Uh, if we can pull up that chart really quick. So number one costume for uh, children this year is Spider-Man, followed by Princess and then Witch, which uh, brings up some interesting <laughs> uh, gender uh, issues there. But that's uh, Ghost right behind it. Superheroes are Batman, Pumpkins. That's an easy one. Uh, Superman, uh, very last, which... I could say that Spider-Man is definitely a lot better. Pets, I think, is super cute. The lion costume that I've seen uh, that people put on, like, their dogs, I think is absolutely 
cutest costume in the world. Uh, and of course, adults, witches, vampires, ghosts, all the scary stuff is that that's where we're going to pop up. Princess ends up last there. So shows you how that evolves over time for sure. Uh, so all different types of costumes. And then what I think is more important, and especially when we talk about this show and, and what we dive into on this on point of sale is where are people getting their inspo from and where are they shopping? So let's first pull up where their inspiration comes from, because I think this is important for any retailers, Spirit Halloween, people who are um, looking to get more consumers on the Halloween costume side. Number one is online searching. The other one is just going into the store. I think a lot of people go in with an idea of what they want to be, and then they go and they check out the store, and maybe they're inspired by something a little different. But it's even more important to notice that uh, when you're looking at that younger age, that 18 to 24, they are all over social media. So uh, for all those out there, I'm sure you're starting to see ads all over the place. There's a reason for it. It's because that's where their inspiration is coming from. And then where are they actually buying it, though? Uh, if we can pull that one up really quick, you'll notice that, well, they're, they're still going into stores, which, uh, or when are they buying it? So they're still going to stores. Well, this is a, uh, really interesting. If you look at these trends, as time goes by, we're starting to buy earlier and earlier, right? And I think that actually really uh, resonates with all over e-commerce and retail sales. When it comes to the holiday, when it comes to holiday gifts, when it came even down to back to school shopping, we saw that parents are getting into stores earlier than ever expected. So uh, it's interesting. I, I wonder how retailers are now starting to um, promote their uh, different holiday events uh, and how much farther back they're going. It's funny. I think we all laugh and joke when we go into stores now and say, oh, uh, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. All of this Christmas stuff is here. Well, they're just following our trends at the day. Or maybe it's the other way. Maybe the sooner they get in front of us, the sooner, the sooner we consume it. But either way, it's a great holiday. I'm happy to see that the spending's back up, that everyone's celebrating it, and especially that we're getting outside of our houses and enjoying it a little bit more with the people around us because that's, that's what makes this holiday fun. We get to be someone maybe even goofier than normal, uh, <laughs> or you get to be something a little bit more scary than you normally are comfortable with as well. So happy Halloween to everyone out there and uh, excited to see all of you on Halloween and the day after over at F3 in Chattanooga as well. And I want to move on to an incredible guest that we have with us today, uh, Mark Waverick. He's the Director of Business Development now for Boxy. He was just placed into this role about a week ago, uh, but he's got some amazing uh, tenure and experience in this industry. Mark, thank you so much for joining me on this show. I'm really happy to have you, and I'm happy to have our audience meet you as well. Yeah, thanks a lot, Grace. It's glad to see you again. And I'm, I, you're in the spirit. I found no one I would have dressed up. I, I wouldn't look like his regular VC investor or something like that today. So maybe that's what costume I'm in. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly. Yeah, you are a like San Diego uh, VC investor for sure. So I love it. This It works perfectly. And I won't lie. I, unfortunately, I put this on like right before the show started. That's how many ridiculous costumes I have in my closet too. So <laughs> good stuff. And uh, I'm excited to have you on because you have such an interesting career. And when we first talked about you taking on this new role at Boxy, um, I was particularly touched by uh, this area of 
uh, of freight, you could say, even more so parcels, uh, going to the men and women that protect this country. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your military career, why you entered the military when you did, and how you ended up getting placed in your postal operations role that you were a part of as well. Well, well, thanks for asking, and thanks for uh, for recognizing uh, the folks that serve our military. Uh, the men and women out there do a tremendous job. They're at uh, sacrificing uh, every single day. They're away from their families for long periods of time. So, uh, you know, I was, I was happy to have a career in the military, and and thanks for recognizing that. Um, like anyone else, uh, when you graduate high school, you are uncertain what you're going to do or what your inspirations in life are going to be, and uh, and I let the Marine Corps kind of pick and choose uh, exactly what I was going to be because I had no idea I was going to be in the postal and mail business. Um, I actually went to boot camp in uh, 1982. Uh, upon graduation, uh, they basically said, Mark, you are now going to be a postal clerk and we're going to send you to Fort Benjamin Harrison and you're going to learn how to sell stamps and provide postal services around the world. And, uh, and that's how I ended up uh, in the uh, postal industry in the military. That's incredible. And then uh, moving on from there, you were able to fix and work on a lot of the problems that are involved with distributing mail to our troops. I think one of my favorite parts about the show and just the supply chain in general is we're so used to as consumers having our average problems, right? Or uh, the package wasn't left on the right doorstep, or we prefer it to be delivered at night compared to the morning. But when it comes to uh, sending these packages overseas to individuals who I think love to get that uh, piece of home or that recognition, even more so than us here receiving letters, et cetera, uh, what kind of problems arose with delivering those, making sure that uh, troops could even receive mail at that time? Yeah, no, great, great, uh, great question here. So uh, when you're a outside the United States, uh, you basically have one place to shop on the military basis. When I came into the, into the military anyway, you, you bought things locally. Uh, the local economy may have not or provided you the things you needed. So, so what happens so often is uh, you rely back in, back in the day, we relied on mail order catalogs and catalogs would come in and you would say, Hey, that's exactly what I'm looking for. You're a, you're a young guy. You're uh, 18 to 25 years old. You've got a little expendable cash. You like to buy good things and nice things for yourself. Uh, and you, you go in there and you buy these items and you would wait two to four weeks before they come to you. Uh, you know, basically through ocean freight or through the mail system. And, uh, and, you know, the, the objective once it arrived to that destination country is that people like myself in the post office. So we were able to find you, locate you and get it into your hands. And I guess that's probably what's really attracted me to, to have this as a career is, is to see uh, the, the joy it brings to getting something to somebody who really, really depends on it or really needs it or really wants it or had requested, especially if you're, you're uh, across the uh, ocean there and you're away from your family and maybe a loved one sends you a package with a care package, nothing better than, than giving that to a serviceman or woman out in the field out there uh, who are out there serving our country. Yeah, when we first talked, uh, I, I was able to share with Mark that throughout high school, I actually um, was a pen pal with Paula Thompson, who served over in Iraq. And it was really great to be able to talk with her and, and learn more about what it was like for her and her time uh, overseas. But more importantly, throughout the letters, I really started to grasp, and when I finally got a chance to meet her, uh, how much it meant to her to hear from 
even someone as random as me who she had never met before. And it's just, it's kind of, it's really great to, to meet someone like Mark and know, oh, he is one of the reasons why she was even able to receive those letters. So it's, thank you so much for your service and what you're able to do because there's so many families and, and I'm sure veterans as well who really thank you for your service and making that possible. And at, at one point, Mark, you ended up working with DHL on a lot of these issues, not just even in the Middle East, but across the Asia Pacific as well. Uh, what led to that partnership and, and how were you able to work with DHL to make sure that these, uh, these gifts and these letters were continuing to be received and sent back and forth? Yeah. So in, uh, in the, uh, uh, spring of 2000 and, uh, and three, basically 2002, end of 2002, I was assigned out to U.S. CENTCOM and uh, was part of the joint postal cell, which was represented by all four branches of service to get ma- uh, the mail to men and women uh, during the time of war, during the time of battle. Uh, but even prior to the actual uh, war starting in Iraq, uh, uh, DHL had already been moving and flying uh, mail up to Afghanistan, up to our troops, up in Bagram and Kandahar, and then making distributions from that point. Um, what happened with uh, with uh, Iraq was a little bit more unique. Uh, we were moving all the supplies and everything through the port of Kuwait. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the uh, the Turkish government did allow the 4th ID to come in on the northern part, and uh, subsequently what happened is the, the whole entire port system in Kuwait became backlogged and clogged. Uh, we couldn't move. People were very sympathetic in wanting to send gifts and care packages and and supplies uh, through the mail stream, but the mail stream became backlogged, and uh, we just couldn't move, didn't have an infrastructure to move the mail off of the Kuwait International Airport fast enough uh, and get it to the troops. So the basically the U.S. Postal Service had to kind of hold on to the mail until we could figure out a better solution, uh, and I was part of that solution team in the Middle East uh, and looking for an alternative way to get mail and packages uh, in the hands of our service members faster and quicker without having to go through Kuwait where we were doing the big buildup. Um, and that's uh, and that's where DHL entered the picture. DHL uh, became a solution where we could fly uh, uh, the mail shipments in 747s up to three, four a day into Bahrain, offload those aircraft, and then sort the mail by uh, by zip code or postal code into 20-foot containers and put them on a rail and then truck them across the causeway in Bahrain over to Kuwait and then move the the uh, shipments by unit and, and dispatch through the uh, the Kuwait military postal operation. So it became very instrumental. Uh, I mean, without DHL support at that time, uh, DHL, uh, or, I mean, the, the U.S. military may have had to embargo mail and there would have been nothing more critical than to tell the American public that we, we can't get mail and uh, packages to your loved ones it's even before the war started. So uh, that's how DHL's initial involvement got into supporting uh, the uh, military mail efforts into Iraq and Afghanistan. It's, it's incredible. And uh, I can't imagine the meetings and the problem solving and the late nights that you had doing. I mean, I, I had a rough time moving steel for half of my career. And uh, these issues are nowhere near that whatsoever. And, you know, being that a lot of these problems were big global uh, issues and having to deal with a lot of, I'm sure, global partners in order, order to pull this off. How do you think your work will influence uh, how you're able to help build Box C and build even deeper relationships with shippers and, and those same partners across the globe? Yeah. So 
Boxy is uh, is kind of unique in its own way, trying to really become a global platform to become really carrier agnostic solution that allows you to kind of ship from anywhere to anywhere in the world uh, that's completely carrier agnostic. So I think my, my experience in working with uh, all different types of air carriers, ocean container carriers, uh, working with the uh, local couriers and express providers, pulse providers, all of that is exactly what Boxy provides solutions for to today. Um, you know, example, uh, in, in, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, when DHL uh, wanted to put a formal contract together, uh, we went out and had to come out and partner with somebody who could fly the first mile, who could, who could manage the, uh, the export long haul wide body aircraft into the Middle East. And then DHL would then run feeder flights to fly to these forward operating bases. This took a, a working with uh, an airlines like Coletta Airlines became the partner for DHL and that relationship has is, is blossomed throughout the years, uh, just starting as a, as a collaborative partnership to help support our military men and women across the globe. I think I can take some of those same solutions with Boxy and kind of share having been the consumer, the recip- recipient on the other receiving end, as well as managing the first mile, the middle mile, the customs, the brokerage, the final mile. Having, having touched all those touch points, we can allow, you know, sellers to kind of pick and choose and kind of manage their own supply chain. And that's that's what the box seat platform kind of represents today. It's incredible. And I think uh, there's one area that we've seen so much growth in. It's clearly in e-commerce. And uh, I myself am, buy things across the globe, too. And that's the great thing about the Internet is that as these other uh economies start to grow and have their own uh, even merchant revolutions, there's going to be bitter, bigger opportunities for us to sell and, and receive goods across our borders. And I'm interested from your experience in going into this role now, Boxy, what's your e-commerce outlook for the rest of, of 2022 and, and Q1 of, of next year? Yeah, I think a lot of the clients and customers I'm talking to today are still kind of looking at the matching April do I have the right SKUs? Do I have too much inventory? Did I not order enough inventory? Uh, how do I handle my back orders? Uh, when do I start selling and discounting? Uh, so those are all going to be challenges. You know, this last two years with the supply chain disruptions have really put an imbalance to what people have. And then you start looking at the, the you know, the war and uh, effects of the war in Ukraine with the cost of fuel. Uh, the, the, look at the carriers today, the, the, the 6.9% increases that everybody's getting applied across the board. Shipping is just becoming too expensive. Um, so I think customers will be savvy like they always are. I mean, we, we still go to the, the stores. We still look at the items, but we also pull out our phones and we say, Hey, I can get it here. Landed costs, all duties, taxes included. I can get it here, uh, and buy it online and have it shipped, uh, in, in a hell we have to wait, uh, you know, a few days or, or, or a week or so to get those items, depending where you're at. I think that's going to happen and continue to happen. Uh, going into Q1, uh, or Q4 here, uh, with peak season in Q1, I still think uh, international is the growth area for people to acquire new customers, you know, and having good solutions and acquiring those customers and then having good delivery experiences during Q4 when, when international buyers are trying to look for something unique and different. I think it's a great time to uh, to forecast uh, some more and take your products globally and take them across the globe and, and, uh, and hopefully find new buyers that continue to come back to your site and buying over and over. 
Exactly. I think this is the time that we're going to be able to open up those relationships more globally and, and have that back and forth trade a little bit more. And happy to see you and, and your team over at Boxy leading the way over there with that too. And as a new uh, guest on our show, I do have to play a quick game with you that we love over here called What Type of Consumer Are You? Uh, and I have a question for you that's based off of different trends that we've seen throughout the pandemic and just through technology etc. Uh, my first one for you is, Mark, do you buy your groceries in the store or are you using an app for at-home delivery for your groceries? Uh, I still buy my groceries in a store. I still pick my own produce up and I still push the cart, but I have advanced now to the automated checkouts uh, and check out myself. So self-checkout. Nice. Shop by <laughs> <laughs> I love that, right? Well, they're moving more towards just those checkouts. So glad you jumped on that trend. Uh, my next one for you is, are you seeing, have you seen a movies in the movie theater uh, recently? Have you just been watching on demand? And if you have been going to the theater, what is the last movie that you did see? Wow. That's, uh, you know, with COVID and things like that, movie theaters have kind of not been part of my life. So uh, I have <laughs> to think about that. Uh Probably um, Unforgivable was the last movie I saw, and that's probably over a year old, but uh, great movie. Yeah. Enjoyed it. <laughs> that's a good one. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I uh, just started going back to, and it's uh, I'm a big fan of the matinee, which has never been too crowded to begin with, but uh, it's uh, slowly coming back. I see more and more families there every once in a while, so that's really great. And uh, uh, to wrap this up, I'd love if you could uh, let our audience know where they can learn more, maybe reach out to you and learn more about Boxy as well. Yeah, if you're interested in taking control of your supply chain, uh, you can reach out and contact me at mark at boxc.com. That's mark at boxc.com. All right. Love that. Thank you so much, Mark. And for our audience, make sure you go get our newsletter at freightwaves.com slash POS. And I will talk to you all soon. Hopefully see you all at F3. Enjoy the rest of your week.